Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to your weekly dose of Luke with Richard, Steve, and Angela on the House of Learning podcast. Uh, really excited uh, for this week. There's, I feel like this chapter's got some challenges that, as I read it, I was like, "Ooh, this is like tough stuff to process. Like these are big ideas, big things." Yeah, I think. Uh as, as I told you earlier, and Angela and I were discussing earlier, I'm like, I'm scratching my head a lot in this. Got to be honest with you. Yeah. And so uh, there's st- some stuff in here that I think I am tracking along with. But um, I think this is, it's one of those chapters, and actually the whole book of Luke, it majors on how do you treat others. Hmm. And I think we have a culture which is not very good at treating others. We tend to have a like every man for himself culture so yeah i feel like sometimes luke brings a challenge that's like so yeah. countercultural. yeah yeah and so hopefully you're reading along with us each week talking about things in your community group this is fueling a conversation that's richer than just sitting in your car listening because that's what that's my podcast place that's right. um actually steve you you were just talking which yeah. is the classic we should press record before Yes, because yeah. some of the best conversation is before. But you were thinking about like the way that you've been reading yeah. and wanted like there's some encouragement about how to read as well. Yeah, uh, I think for me, a big um, change in the last couple of weeks as we've been reading through this um, is to read it completely. I've tended to um, read uh, sections before, maybe in smaller chunks, mm-hmm. I think. And and that's really good. And I can start to formulate some ideas ar- around that and some thoughts. Um, but uh, I think what, uh, what I've discovered the last through uh, the last couple of parables is really looking at them in a more um, continuing arc uh, that there's so much more richness because it seems like he's building connecting things together um, you know the example is like chapter 15 oftentimes I would just read the you know the parable of the lost son and it's great. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to be learned there. But it says said something different to me when I read that in connection with the other two parables that were before that. Um, yeah. I painted a slightly different picture. And then even thinking that, but wait a minute, that actually makes more sense uh, in connection to the, the parable of the banquet he had told in mm-hmm. chapter 14. So um, I would encourage you guys, uh, like this is a... This chapter, chapter 16, is dense. I mean, there's a lot in here. Yeah. Um, At last chapter as well, actually. Yeah. Like, that parable of the prodigal son is like, there's so much detail yeah. in that. You just It kind of slows you down. Yeah, and it's good to slow down. But also sometimes uh, I, I just I want to take some time to go through it, the whole chapter together. And maybe I'll even back up and read the previous chapter yeah. with it. Um, maybe even start to look forward to the next chapter yeah. a little bit but it's really been helpful for me um it's like to we read need a little and bit actually more. we need both ways of reading yeah. we need to see the big picture and sometimes then really noodle on a detail yeah. so you, but you need yeah. both yeah yeah it makes me think of like a music analogy you know yeah. it's like and there's a little bit of like Rich, richard's personal values coming there in you here. go but like you know there could be a pop song 
you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's a verse, there's a chorus, there's another mm. verse, there's a bridge, there's the chorus, mm -hmm. you're done, you know? And, um, you know, the, the verse might continue the story from the first verse, mm -hmm. you know, the chorus is like the big theme, Yeah, oh. um, you know, <laughs> and, and you can listen to the first verse and stop the CD CDs, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, stop Spotify, That's right. you know, move on to the next track. It, yeah, it's probably fine. Um, but then there's like, there's a complexity to like some classical music. Mm. Like uh, uh, just the one that pops in my head is like the Enigma Variations by Elgar where there's a theme and then there's, I think, 13 more sort of small pieces of music that all develop that theme. Mm. But you get to like some of the later ones and each theme's a, a characterization of the theme in relation to like a person he knew or an event mm. in his life. But then some of them are like, oh, yeah, I see how this develops the theme differently, but develops it in a way that's drawing in the theme from the third movement and contrasting it with mm. the way that the theme was developed in the fifth movement because that person was different to this person, mm. but they both shared this event, you know, and it's sometimes trying to get enough of it in your head to see those connections just takes yeah. a sort of repetition to start to open yourself up to seeing the patterns. And I think that's one of the, yeah. I mean, there's a theological point here. One of the resurgences in modern biblical studies where it feels like there's a wave of discovery happening is because people have started to read the, especially the Jewish scriptures. Mm with more of a pattern spotting mentality than reading it as if it's like modern Western enlightenment mm. literature mm. that's going to tell you an idea and then develop that idea linearly into the next idea and into the next idea and you can just do like one at a time. And actually it was written in more of a spot the pattern kind of way, which is why our encouragement along reading with us has been, hey, it's chapter 16 this week, read chapter 16 every day rather than the whole chapter yeah the yeah. whole chapter yeah. uh, and like you say sometimes you you know you get off a few days in reading chapter 16 like you know what today i want to read chapter 15 yeah. again and chapter 16 yeah um yeah it's, it's i think it's and it's, it's reading it in a way that it was more designed to be read yeah. and we can get more out of it mm. and we feel like oh but isn't that reading more isn't it going to be harder mm. my experience is it takes me less time to yeah. walk away with that classic, if someone said to me, did God show you anything in the Bible today? Be able to say, yeah, and I actually yeah. remember what it is. Yeah. It takes yeah. me less time and energy to get to that place yeah. when I read this way than it does when I'm like, yeah, I read my five verses out of chapter four for today. What did God speak to you? Like, uh, I'm not sure I'm still thinking, like, it hasn't fully mm -hmm. made sense yet. I kind of analyzed it. Um, yeah. I know I know when I used to read a little bit at a time, um, yeah, I actually found reading harder. Yeah. And it, and it took me more time. And there may be some like personal stuff in there about how I learned to read the Bible, but it's just yeah. it's really interesting to me. Yeah. I love that how you brought out, you know, looking at these patterns and I I am a music person too, so it's really fun to listen to a big work and and listen for those like those those almost patterns which look like almost characters right that you can identify throughout a, a, mm -hmm. a major piece and um as you're talking and trying to make the point of really under like reading maybe a, a longer piece of scripture um and understanding what's comes before it and what's after to spot the pattern not necessarily to read it in a linear way 
I was thinking about um, just this series um, that we're in of Becoming Like Jesus and to encourage people to, again, read the whole chapter, um, also maybe the chapter before and the chapter after so you know where you've been and where you're going. As we are becoming like Jesus, it's a lot like a and like an impressionistic painting. If you think about, it, if you, we were just at um, some museums recently where we got to see some, but when you're up very close, you can see the brilliance of the color, and you can see the like marvel in the creation of 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 a piece of an impressionistic painting at you know at close range, but you don't get the full picture of it until you stand back and yeah. and and almost yeah. like blur your eyes right um and to see like the whole creation i think i look at that as like us becoming mm-hmm. like jesus like once once we're through this study of luke stepping back and knowing that we've examined each little piece but but in the end mm-hmm. as we're we're standing back what what are we coming away with what is that picture of jesus that that we can become like um, yeah. in this journey. So there's the music piece, but then there's also the, the all, other piece, which yeah, is analogy. a different yeah. a different way of looking at the same thing. Yeah, that, that was really helpful for me, what you just said there. <laughs> just I, to, I yeah. think it's best. Uh, I love it because also, you know, in London, we were in and out of museums yeah. as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I remember we went into the National Gallery and it's like that opportunity to give the kids like a little bit of culture, yeah. a little bit. And uh, I was like, okay, they're going to be into like what's the most expensive painting. Mm. So I was like, yeah. okay, let's go find Monet's lilies. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, but then they get the little art history lesson, which was literally that. It's like, mm-hmm. so look at that painting over there. You mm-hmm. see how this style, so what mm-hmm. the artist is doing is this. The, so yeah. I, it's a massive painting and everyone stood really close. But when they move out of the way, come sit on this bench and then like blur your eyes. Yeah, and, right. You know, sit yeah, back and yeah. Take it all in, mm-hmm. and you'll see something different. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we literally did that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's, that's what. Awesome. So did we. We were at museums too, and um, it just made me think of it. Like, and that's why I love reading the Bible because there are so, and like I love going to beautiful museums too. You know, because you can go a million times, you can read the Bible a million times, never be done, always discover something new. But with the Bible, like Jesus is changing your heart. As you as you read yeah. it and encounter You're him, a, different it, yeah. a picture like you go to a museum, it's like it falls short. Of course, like it's beautiful, you remember it, and that's it. But your heart's not changed necessarily because that's work of the Holy yeah, Spirit yeah. that does mm. it. And so, the, you know, mm. transformation mm. is what we're talking about here. Mm. And um, as we're as we're studying, so let's mm. get into it. Let's get like, there's yeah, good yeah. value on the podcast today. We got musicology, art history, that's right. How to read, how to look. We at haven't painting. even got to Luke yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we should anyway, set we should us up there. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so he's he's still in this parable um, telling yes. phase. So yeah. he's why is he using parables here? We talked about that yeah. last. Uh, yeah. yeah, didn't we? Is mm-hmm. uh, for us sometimes we're like, what on earth's going on? Mm. But for his audience, he was using everyday imagery to paint a vivid picture. So sometimes we have to do a bit of historical work to mm, be like, oh, mm. I see that's what's going on to understand the scene. Yeah. But then parables often had a hook where there was like a surprise or something unexpected. And most parables, it, it's like Jesus's teaching method is, I really want to get you to think about this. Mm. And that twist in the parable helps us understand, oh, that's what Jesus wants the crowd to walk mm. away scratching their head about. Mm. And so if we're going to sort of interact with a parable, we're trying to identify that thing. 
and I guess ask God the question like, how do you want me to scratch my head right. in response to this? And if we're doing a good job of like understanding Jesus's teaching, it, it should be something that connects to what the crowds in the first century were scratching their head about. Although the, the way that the head scratching plays out might be a bit different in the modern world. A little bit different. You know, um, yeah. yeah, we yeah. like last week we had we've had banquets. We've you know we've had yes. Yeah, it might be dinner parties, not banquets. Yeah, there's, yeah, so there's differences, but trying to catch what those key things are in the mm. parables. So we got, mm. and actually here we've got a little difference. Luke, he he tells a parable. One of, he's like recounts one of Jesus's parables, but then to sort of help the readers. Because part of Luke's stated purpose in his gospel is like to help people understand uh, like who Jesus is and how to respond to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So to help the readers understand how to respond to this parable, he then gives a few of Jesus, like snippets of Jesus's teaching yeah. that actually help apply the point of the parable to mm-hmm. some different mm-hmm. things. And then we get another parable, which feels very different, but is actually the same theme in like yeah. a new arena as well. So we're, we're going to get a middle bit here that's a little bit different, but it's not, I mean, we were joking before yeah. the podcast, right? Why does the subheading just say like, well, I can't additional, remember what you said it was, like unrelated teaching. Additional you know, teachings. just like, oh, here's some other stuff Jesus said. Like, yeah. no, it's mm-hmm. not just some other stuff but Jesus said. Luke's like, oh, I forgot about this. Let's yeah. stick it in here. Yeah. I need a filler. So um, the, read, the, re- <laughs> the way to not read this is just to, sort of read these subheadings. Yes. This parable, additional teachings, and then we've got another yeah. parable. Like they're all interconnected. Yeah. Um, and I think understanding the point of the teachings yeah. in the middle yeah. is really hard if you're not seeing, but that teaching, if I'm understanding it right, is a response to this parable. Yeah. That becomes the litmus test of mm, my understanding mm, mm. where Luke's giving us a teaching of Jesus and it's a couple of sentences. Right. So it's quite short. Yeah. So, you know, we're used to like understanding a point because someone stands up on yeah, a Sunday yeah. and like talks for 40 minutes yeah. about it. Yeah. You know, so this like two sentence version is like, mm-hmm. man, how can I make sure I've understood it right? Mm-hmm. Seeing seeing why the authors included it is a great mm-hmm. way to. And like, so that, that. Uh, but what you said too is seeing how the how the author included it. That also leads me to think. I might initially read this and think, oh, these are sort of, this is a chronological story line. And that's not necessarily the case. These are intentional pieces put together to tell um, something. They're intentional parables that Jesus took as a way for Luke to show kind of what Jesus is They're portraits of Jesus. Gotcha. Not like videos of the life of Jesus. Yeah. 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 And, and some gospels are m- more like that. Well, actually, I think each gospel Perhaps. includes some points where the yeah. author wants to make clear to us: Jesus did this and this next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we get we get snippets yeah. of that, mm-hmm. but this ancient way of writing, and people were used to this. We tend to have a more "give me the bare facts; I want to draw my own conclusions" yeah. approach. Uh, whereas in the ancient world, it was more of a. Um, I want to make this point about this person, so I'm going to tell you about them in a way that helps you understand the thing I want to get across to you. Mm, mm. So the authors had an agenda. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and that's part of like how the Spirit inspired these authors 
which is actually really yeah. amazing. You know, yeah. I, I often think about like Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send the spirit to help you recollect mm. what mm. I, I said and done, mm-hmm. did and understand it. You yeah. know, so he's equipped them to really understand the ingredients that Jesus left yeah. them with. But then it also talks about them being moved by the Holy Spirit in the production of these works. Yeah. And so I, I yeah. then seeing also the Holy Spirit, I, I just, I sometimes wonder what it would have been like inside Luke's head. <laughs> like he's walking with Jesus, traveling with, mm. you know, uh, like mission trips, mm-hmm. you know, planting churches. So he's like, he's front seat to some of what's happening. Mm. Um, and also just in his prayer life, like how did the spirit show him things mm. to put things together? And like, how did the spirit move his heart to create a person who, well, like for Luke's gospel, there are some big themes that yeah. the spirit created him in him. Yeah. And then the spirit actually partnered with his mind to get those themes out in this way yeah. because that's like that was God's heart of how he wanted to communicate it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I know there's such a multi-layered thing to Luke's, this like Holy Spirit using yeah. a Luke to produce something that then is is spirit-breathed. Uh, it's really, I know, intriguing to me. Mm. But that's a whole nother, man, good value that's on the podcast today. That's a whole nother podcast. Like 17 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> We've had all sorts all right. today. So let's get yeah. to it. And we've got a lot of stuff to look at. Yes, Luke 16. So, yeah. If you're not there, turn to Luke 16. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so should we summarize the first parable here? Paint paint the picture a little bit. Sure. Okay. Who wants who's our summarizer for the first one? Uh, I'm gonna nominate my husband, Steve. <laughs> okay. Good one. I'm good at nominating people. <laughs> okay. This is the audio equivalent of who's Thank got you. the finger on the That's nose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Steve's uh, smiling, so he gets it. All right, well, he, let, let's go. Yeah. Um so first of all, this is, starts off Ju- Jesus is teaching telling his disciples this so that that's who mm-hmm. he's speaking to right and he starts with this um parable of this r- rich man this master and a manager and so the rich man comes back and he he's he's uh he's heard these things about this manager um who was says in the very first verse Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions so he called him in and said hey what's going on you got to explain yourself you can't be my manager any- yeah. anymore and so the manager's all oh, he's nervous i'm going to lose my job i'm going to what am i going to do i'm going to be thrown out and and i don't want to says here i'm not strong enough to dig i'm ashamed to beg I know what I what I'll do when I lose my job here. People will. Um, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. And so he has this scheme. He goes out to two of the master's uh, debtors, mm-hmm. um, and he basically reduces their um, debt, what they own. And so they're um, thrilled about it. Um, and the master comes back um, after he reduces their bills. The master then, th- this is what throws me, so uh, this is where I'm going to ask you, Richard, to he- help me out here. But the master comes back and he commends the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So he yeah. talks about this. And then he goes in and, t- and talks about um, 
you know, how shrewd um, people are um, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. And he tells, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like a key question is like, what type of shrewdness yeah. is this? Because yeah. shrewd has negative connotations to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it's a sort tricky. of Machiavellian, mm. you know, scheming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like there's something bad yeah. about this shrewdness, which is why it, it's tough because I, I, I actually think Jesus was trying to portray it as a negative connotation mm-hmm. shrewdness as well. But he's doing this sort of like, if a dishonest manager can display this quality because like of what shrewdness is, how much more should you, my disciples, be able to mobilize a similar mm. characteristic in your dealing with eternal and kingdom things? Mm. And so we need to sort of understand mm. the type of shrewdness that's going on here. Because I, I think, um, did you just say or... Uh, like like he's kind of scheming like he came up with a scheme well yeah, yeah. that's what it seems right? like yeah and maybe and maybe i misrepresented no no i there. think that's good okay. because i, I mm-hmm. think what's going on is he he's between a rock and a hard place yeah. and he sees an opportunity and mobilizes like oh i can do this yeah to take the opportunity to solve this problem yeah to deal with and so like his his values are coming out you know, because I don't want to beg and because I want to be safe and I need people to take me in, I'm going to m- come up with a scheme to ensure those things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it it's, become it, that that's the kind of shrewdness. It's how it's 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 the str- strategy to meet his, the goal. Yes. The shrewdness being the strategy, the goal, either in this case, there's some ill intent. Right. Yeah, or some. It's a little shady. It's the shady. It's is shady. shady. I mean, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that and that's the thing because he's called the dishonest manager, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, mm-hmm. right? So he's a manager. So there's probably the rich man is, uh, you know, probably like a, a landowner, mm. you know, quite rich and can hire someone to be like, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to supervise this business. Mm. Like you run the project, mm-hmm. okay? I will get the income. Mm. Uh, and what was common was that people would be brought in, these these stewards, these managers, effectively as project managers mm. to supervise, to run the accounts, and they would take a cut. And so, and they would, they would get, uh, depending on the manager, but often they would get a pretty much free reign. You know, uh, the manager would put a huge amount of trust, sorry, the landowner, the rich man would put mm-hmm. a huge amount of trust in the manager. And so uh, the interesting thing here, though, is he's a dishonest manager. Mm-hmm. So it's not just managerial incompetence. Mm. It's not a mistake in the books that then turned into something. This is this is like scandal. This is like Enron. This is, mm. you know, it's mm. the kind of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, you actually have tried to cook the books with intent. Yeah. Like you've tried to do something with intent. And, and I think it, it's and likely t- for his personal game. That's is, it. Is right. He wanted intent. to look good. Game. Yeah. yeah. He wanted yeah. to be popular <laughs> after this. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's sort of interesting because 
his value on wealth and security and safety is what has driven him to be dishonest mm -hmm. in the way he's managed things. And yet it's those same values that become, I couldn't beg, I couldn't dig, which is kind of interesting because the, like, I'm sure he could have done, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he was like, well, I'm too, and, and this is part of just the perspective of this person, too proud to beg, maybe too in love with the idea of comfort to dig mm -hmm. for work. Uh, he did not, it, there was a pride in him. He did not want to take the lowest positions because a laborer who dug was like the lowest yeah. of a laborer and begging is the, you know, the lowest other alternative. So it, it's not, he's like, oh man, you know, I've got a disability. I can't dig. Right. You know, it's, it's nothing like that. So there's, there's something where we're already seeing like this is, a Jesus is trying to paint the picture of a broken person. Mm. Like this is not a righteous person this is like you because of the desire for dishonest gain have mismanaged things and now you're in trouble and there's something broken about you where you're too proud uh, but but even given your brokennesses this dishonest manager is able to see but there's something i could do because the thing that's going to help me here the thing that's valuable to me at this point is not stealing a sack of gold and running away it's other people. I need mm. to make an investment in others uh, and and use the money for that value because that's the thing I need at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, yeah, he starts uh, reworking the accounts of some of the people who are trading with the rich man's property or goods. And this is where it's interesting because, you know, he he says, you know, to one person who's got like a hundred measures of oil. And he says, write down that you now only owe 50. Yeah. So is he basically doing the rich man out of his possessions? Because this becomes now like theft. This is right. like corporate theft, yeah. you know. Um, actually, like a lot of like historians looking at this think that what's actually going on is uh, because oil was a very valuable commodity, it had a much higher interest rate. So it had a really high interest on it. And so what the, the manager is doing is like, hey, why don't you repay this on different terms more quickly? I, I'm going to renegotiate the terms and I'm going to give up my cut. Because that's part okay. of the dishonesty of this manager, is he was Probably using he was abusing cut. a position of power for mm -hmm. his own gain. So he stops abusing that position in that way, okay. and and it's sort of because with the person with the wheat, he says, okay, you know, you are a hundred measures, make it eighty. Yeah. So it's a twenty percent reduction instead of a fifty percent. But wheat attracted a much lower interest rate. Okay. So renegotiated. This is so. This is like refinancing. Mm -hmm. okay. He's refinancing, okay. like two separate things. So it's almost like he's a mortgage broker, and you know he's he's cooked the books. You know I've cooked the books in negotiating your yeah, mortgage, yeah. but I know I'm like I'm uh, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. So I come to you and I say, hey, can I can I help you refinance? Yeah. And it's going to be better for you. And I'm going to give up my commission. It's going to be better for me. And yeah, the bank's going to get less money, 
because of how I'm going to refinance mm-hmm. this for mm-hmm. you. But my aim is not to make the bank it's happy, to but to make you happy. Yeah. And I'm going to give up something to do that. Yeah. And so, so the dishonesty is not that he basically was like, well, you know, the bank thinks you owe 200,000. Let's make it 100 and hopefully they don't notice. Right. It's not that sort of dishonesty. Okay. He's already been dishonest. He's having to come to people and there's an element in here where he's ris- maybe risking a little bit of like, to be honest, my commission when we first sorted out your mortgage, I kind of took advantage was of you. It was too high. It was too high. But I want to put it right. Mm-hmm. You know, so so he yeah. it's a really interesting sort of scenario mm-hmm. playing out, um, and, and so you you can see like the scheming uh, nature is he, um, like he's he's got some money, but he understands how he can use the resources, the money, and the opportunities. There's something about the sort of mm-hmm. economic possibilities in front of him. And he sees that they can be utilized for being in your good books. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that's where it then gets interesting, where Jesus adds a commentary. So the master comes back and is like, well, I, I, I can almost imagine this. You know, if I so uh, b- b- imagine I'm a dishonest master, right? Can I pause I, just for a sec? So okay. I, I, as you do that, before. I think one thing that's really helpful as you've been talking to that, like this manager, sorry, the master, there's times where I maybe have read this and think, oh, Jesus is trying to, you know, picture the man, this master as, as God the Father or something. And I think that what I'm hearing is like, that's not the case here. No, this is no. probably just a we master. He's generic. We don't really yeah, know so much let's, about him. Yeah, that's good to yeah. not spiritualize it. Well, and this actually, part. I, I yeah. think there's a, which is what I was about to oh, get sorry. to. <laughs> it, but it, uh, no, no. But the thing I'm about to get to helps answer that question. Okay. That's okay. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, is... I think there's an element to, the, to this master's affirmation which shows that the master himself has a bit of a dishonest streak in him mm, as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So imagine, like, I've seen this play out as some other rich man. Yeah. All right? And I'm like, man, this steward knows how to work a situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he worked it really well for dishonest gain and got caught, but then he reworked it to get out of it. If I don't mind a little bit of shrewdness and dishonesty... I'd love to have him work for me. Mm, mm. If I could, ju- he's got skills. Yeah. He's yeah, got he's, scheming yeah. skills. The master right? recognizes okay. this and yeah. wants to. Yeah. I mean, this is like in too. our media world. Is like yeah. you know that that lawyer manages to get people out of stuff. Yeah. Are they like a real stand-up righteous person? No, that's not their value. Mm. But they like they can they can figure out a way. And so, yeah, it's a real, real sort of interesting picture. Mm-hmm. But then the interesting thing is the commentary Jesus added. So the master uh, sort of comes back and is like, and I, I can imagine there being a sort of, there's an affirmation with a bit of a regret. Like, man, you're really good at scheming. Imagine what could have been if you'd actually schemed a bit more honestly and I wasn't having to fire you right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I appreciate your skills. I don't appreciate the way this was played out because I'm actually now down some interest payments yeah, because yeah, you've yeah, renegotiated, yeah, yeah. you've refinanced things. Yeah. So I've lost a bit, but like, I appreciate that you you've actually got the skills. Yeah. And you and you mobilize those skills, 
and, and this is the, the interesting thing because Jesus has been uh, talking a lot about um, like our attitudes to others, how we treat others, mm. whether we really have the right value on others. He's been having this ongoing battle with the Pharisees around healing of like what's mm. what's the most valuable thing, you know, the Sabbath mm-hmm, or healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a continuing tension building up in Luke's gospel. Um, and then he says this, um, like the sons of this world, so the kind of worldly yeah. brokenness that's here, like the the pride that the manager had, maybe even the scheming nature that the master mm-hmm. might have had himself. Like these people understand that wealth, that money, that economics can be used to get you friends. Mm. They get something about the fact that money, um, it, it's not valuable as an end in itself. If you have a basement full of gold bullion, it's only valuable because it can buy you things. Mm-hmm. It, it has a utilitarian value. And, and like even the people who are worldly get this, which is why they mobilize its utility, its utilitarian value. They scheme with it. Okay. And then he's like, how much more should like my disciples, should righteous people be mobilizing it for something that's even more valuable? Mm-hmm. So the and it's a kind of contrast, like this manager, this steward mobilized it to basically get out of jail, to get out from a, from needing to beg. Mm-hmm. But Jesus then is like, I tell you, you could make friends for yourself um, who would receive you into eternal dwellings. So you you could make friends in a way that's not about just avoiding begging, but means that on the side of eternity when God's justice and like have people has has a value played out the way it should, that there'll pe- be people who want to affirm the way that you mobilized money, mm-hmm. that you mobilized generosity, things like that. Uh, and so it's uh, at which the next parable is going to be a picture of a failure to do this. And then what happens? And, and someone is not welcomed into eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is why the connection between these these two parables is so profound. Yeah, as as you've been as, as you've been sort of unpacking that, this penny just dropped for me. You know, yeah. as I'm, and seeing this connection that's you know for the you know between this and these next two sections between his teaching and then the next uh, parable as well. And it's, it, it it seems to be this notion of. Uh, um, I mean, really, what was this this manager's, his motivation all along has seemed to be for self-gain, right? And that was what was at risk, is he was threatened. His livelihood, his status, you know, didn't want to do these things, his comfort and everything. was that self, you know, that selfishness. Um, mm-hmm. He's got this premium value on selfishness, on yeah. his outcome, and even the in the in the owner in some way is saying this, uh, hey, that was pretty good. And it's almost like these, it's almost like, uh, well, but this, 
and, and still, he, you know, at the end of the day, he's like, oh, now you, you used money. You still used it to kind of preserve yourself. Like, that's what he yeah. did. And Jesus is saying, like, hold on a second. The purpose of money here is this notion of, like, use it is not just for you. Money's going to be gone yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there are principles, like there's catchphrases in our modern yeah. sort of Christian world. Yeah. Like, you can't take it with you, but you yeah. can send on ahead. You know, things like yeah, this. Yeah. That comes from this parable. Mm, mm. You know, is um, you can have a basement full of gold bullion. Yeah. And like you'll die. I mean, this is like the the rich young yeah. ruler, you know, who wanted to yeah, build bigger yeah. barns and what did it avail him? Yeah. And, um, I, we get in Luke one set of warnings about seeking security in money is of no use to eternal security. Mm. It can buy you some security here and now in the circumstances of this world, but it will not affect your security forever. So that's what like one set of warnings, and and then what's coming here is a little bit of like, yeah, but how can you mobilize it mm-hmm. in a way that might affect your security? You know, so just possessing money doesn't will not make you secure. We've had right. that warning, but also how you use money could affect your security. You know, the you can use it in a way that's going to be reward worthy in eternity and that reward's going to actually play out with uh like pe- people welcoming you people being mm. glad there being a like a thanks you know mm. for the way that money was used and, and it's interesting because then Luke adds some of these little teachings of Jesus like real quick which i think are sort of like okay so i i want to realize that responding to this i'm starting to think like i want to realize the value of money and i want to realize that how i use it um in the way that it affects others could be a marker of whether i'm really using it well like Mm -hmm. that's the possible value i can hoard it i can spend it on my own comfort i can spend it on my own security But spending it on my own comfort and security is just self-deception. It's fake security. We've had those parables. Um, I can hoard it, but that's really if, like as an end in itself, it actually doesn't have value. Or I can utilize it. And the things I should utilize it for then, like why, if I've got some money, I want to mobilize that money. I want to be shrewd. Like if even worldly people understand, hey, that's a resource, mobilize it. How? me who sees the needs and knows like there's an eternity coming and I like I understand I'm open to this world here and now in this life affecting my eternity yeah how much more should I be motivated motivated to mobilize my money mobilize my resources and then these teachings are like okay so I want to be shrewd what's the godly version of shrewd Mm -hmm. because that's the contrast of like this worldly person understood So I don't want to follow his example. Yeah, I don't want to become a dishonest manager. That's not what Jesus is saying, which is why he then adds these guardrails of like, okay, so if you're going to come up with schemes to mobilize your resources, what are the guardrails? And we get three things. Okay. Like one, one of them, one who is faithful in a little is faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in a little will be dishonest in much. The character 
of so faithfulness faithful. over dishonesty, mm-hmm. trust. Mm. You know, that is a, a guardrail. Do Are we doing things in a way that as we grow to understand God and God's character, we would have that expectation God's going to say to me, yeah, I trust you with your resources. You are tr- And will others also do that? Because that is going to help, you know, the little move to much. The, the, the blessing or the success of one scheme, like when it's got faithfulness, then maybe the next scheme can have more impact and yeah. be a little bigger and maybe God can bless it a little bit more. Yeah. So faithfulness is one marker. Uh, the, the next thing is about like... Um, if uh, if you've been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So it's uh, it's about uh, the sort of uh, um, I don't know risk, right? Um, uh, th- this this manager, like he risked a lot in his scheming, but the person who stood to lose the most was actually the landowner mm-hmm. like ultimately if it all went apart he would be the one that was left right. with nothing well both of them would but he would maybe suffer the greatest loss yeah and there's something there's something different about the kind of interaction we have with the scheme when it's like um i don't know uh we're we're looking over someone's shoulder as they're thinking where to invest and saying you should invest there you should invest your money there. Mm. I don't stand to lose anything. But like um, when it's my own, then I might interact a little differently, differently with it. And so this sort of this, this idea that actually, um, you know, the, the one who is faithful in that which is another's, that's a place where you can grow the characteristic, which means you can be trusted with your own sense of risk. Hmm. It's like be just be a good custodian. Yeah. Show that when you have um, when it, it's not yours. So yeah. when you have nothing really to lose by misstepping, and yeah. when you've once you've demonstrated your character in that, then God will level you up and give you yeah. that thing. And and I and, mm. and this is countercultural. Because our way of doing this in our culture is you show me Prove that as an individual, yeah. you are trustworthy with your finances. Yes. And I'll trust you to give me advice mine. about mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is like, no, actually the kind of character you need to have godly schemes means you need to develop the kind of capacity where you can be trustworthy on behalf of others. Mm-hmm. Because with the right heart, that's going to equip you with the ingredients to have the right perspective on schemes that are to do with you mm, and mm, yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the risk of self is selfishness. Yeah. And so this is there's a counterculturalness to this that actually our trustworthiness and the way we do things that affect others matters of primary importance. And it's a route to growing our ability to scheme with the stuff that's closer to home. So in practice... This means the kind of trust you have with your finances at work have a massive implication for your ability to have a godly sort of uh, con- conduct around your finances in, in your home. Mm. 
which is countercultural. And yeah, it, it, yeah. it doesn't mean that, because clearly this can go wrong as well, which is why we need more than one guardrail. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a way to deal with your finances at work, which will impact the way you deal with your finances yeah. at home, and both are bad. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. But there's a, there's a kind of ability to just care and scheme and invest in something that's actually going to benefit another which enables us to scheme with our own stuff in a way that can be about others as well. Mm. And that's the countercultural thing. I think in our culture, we think of the, the faithfulness as you're not risky and you're not going to mess it up and you're not going to lose everything. So if you do that yourself, if you manage to do your self-finances in a way that you don't lose stuff, then I can trust you to not lose stuff over here. But what's being talked about here is actually a kind of generous scheming risking generosity giving away of stuff so it's a, it's actually some different values of financial management can you scheme in a way that benefits people in the right ways that you actually buy friends for eternity mm -hmm. and there's something about faithful expressions of that in ways that already are directly connected to others mm -hmm. can you be faithful in a way that benefits someone else because you, you growing that characteristic, I think that's what makes space for you to start to view your own finances, not through the lens of just, can I not lose stuff? But how can others benefit? It exercises a muscle that you can then bring into the things that are closer to home. Mm. So there's a there's a real countercultural twist in that middle one that I think takes some explaining. Super interesting. And then the last one is about like priorities. Yeah. No one can serve two masters. When push comes to, sh to shove, the thing you value most will push your decisions in, in the way that moves towards that value. You know, we do a lot of trying to compromise, having our own cake and eat it, you know, those sorts of things. But when two values are in conflict, the thing we value most... Wins out. It, it, it will be revealed, yeah. yeah. And Jesus says, like, you can't be devoted... Uh, to God and I mean some translations say money some say mammon but it's it's this sort of personification of money as mm. an end in its own mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as the chief motivator yeah as the goal yeah and, and I, I think what Jesus is pointing out here is money in the sense that the rich young ruler had it where he just wanted a basement mm. full of gold mm -hmm. or in the sense that actually the dishonest manager wanted it because he wanted to be comfortable and actually what we're going to see in the next parable is the way that the rich man used his money yeah. for his own security luxury, and comfort yeah. and luxury yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Like you cannot see, you cannot have a value of like I'm devoted to God and the way of God and I'm devoted to the idea that I want lots of money because I want to be secure and comfortable and be able to do all the things I want to do. You can't. Well, you, I, like if you're a person that feels like I have both of those two things and those two things can cohabit in the same soul, Jesus is saying you're wrong about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I, as you're talking and you, you've used this word comfort a couple of times, just a little sidebar, like we can, I can read this parable and think, okay, this is about money, this is about finances, and and it is, but isn't in our culture like money? brings comfort and this idea that we can't serve two masters like what if we put in instead of um 
you know, God and money. It's God and comfort. And that idea, mm-hmm. does God always want us to be comfortable? And and he wouldn't ask us to do something that wasn't comfortable. And I, I don't know. Oh, I know yeah. this is a tangent. I know this can't be of God because it, because make, it, it feels it's, uncomfortable. It, yeah, it, it can't feels hard. be of God. And yeah. this is a tangent because I know this is very like a financial kind of discussion. But yeah. but I think that there for those but, but who... But that thing could get in the way of us applying this. So yeah. It can. I and I so think true. there are those who like will read this and, and maybe gloss over it. But think about like if we're always going after comfort how much do we grow in the lord then and it's in the way god calls us to to serve it's in the way god calls us to to live um even to learn about him i mean i'm learning uncomfortable things about mm-hmm. god all day um but so anyway it's a sidebar but something that Definitely. i was just mm-hmm. as you're talking Definitely. convicted mm-hmm. about. i mean even like the title of the series becoming like jesus mm-hmm. You know, what yeah. What should a life look like that is like Jesus's life? It's cruciform. It's mm-hmm. cross-shaped. It's sacrifice-shaped. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus was teaching the disciples to live that way. Their lives with walking with him still had peace in it, still had partying in it, still had loads of good things in it. Mm-hmm. Fun. But yeah. it was a life that had room and grew in room to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing about like these uh, values when Jesus says, um, you know, you can't love both because love is a powerful word. Do I value money? Yeah. Do I understand the blessing of comfort yeah. when I get to have comfortable things mm-hmm. which God's blessed me with? Yes. Mm-hmm. But do I love comfort do i pursue it yeah. as the primary thing is the goal like my goal is just to be comfortable yeah. like are you the person who's saying that yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and that's hard because i think there's a version of the gospel within the american dream which is that the best kind of life is a secure comfortable life based on your wealth and your connections which there's a whole another sidebar here about <laughs> right, like know. what yes. kind of friends mm-hmm. you should have, which we'll see play out in the next yeah. parable. Mm-hmm. Um, like the powerful rich friends are not as not actually the ones that maybe matter mm-hmm. the way we think our culture thinks they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say, but yeah, it's just this is really countercultural because there's that. Oh, that's right. That that like there's a version of the gospel which is like live the American dream. God wants you to have the American dream. Yeah. If you're following Jesus, the way that blessing will look like is that you will achieve the American dream. Mm. And it, it, you're, you're not going to find it in scripture. Yeah, It's, yeah, just, it's, not, not it's just not there. And it, it doesn't mean that like everyone should live a life like Mother Teresa, where mm. we renounce mm. all possession and all self. What she did, God called her to, and it was amazing and beautiful and Jesus-shaped and a profound example but like God called some of us to be in an in-between, yeah, right? God calls some of us to not have very much, but there's a there's a path of peace and blessing mm. with some mm. good things. God calls some of us to have a buttload of money, and he teaches us to be trustworthy and faithful mm. with it because he's like, I need some people to mobilize some resources in this world. So there's a whole like well, range of different people and different relationships. It, it's but here. if you love money... 
Yeah, it's just it's, it's gonna where get your heart is. Where is your heart? And yeah. he seems, I mean, that's pretty explicit there. Like when we see the Pharisees' reactions here, mm. and Jesus, you know, really explicitly says it's because they're sneering, right? They they're love sneering. money, and they're yeah. sneering, and they're saying sneering is ah, like a strong word. That's an evocative term. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're angry and upset. They're, yeah, yeah, they're no. This hit them right in the, between yeah. the eyes, and like, yeah. and, and then they ridiculed him. Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. So they they tried to dismiss this teaching. Yeah, and and well, because it was uncomfortable. And but yeah. Jesus is <laughs> he really says, look, God sees our heart. Like in what's what you're becoming, what you look like on the inside, and what your motivations are. Um, what what God values is a heart that's oriented and expressed yeah. in these ways that you uh, talked about. You know, <coughs> this faithfulness, trustworthy towards others, for you know, building this, being trust trustworthy with others. Things you, you know, yeah. um, um, and, and valuing you know, putting God first. Yeah, the heart that's oriented that way, positioned that way um and he's saying hey look what the w- typical world values uh highly is yeah because the, the contrary to these lessons become the picture of worldliness yeah someone who's unfaithful untrustworthy who thinks that the primary means of producing character mm-hmm. is about how they treat themselves rather mm-hmm. than how they treat others mm-hmm. um and who you know, it, it, they they're kidding themselves. They say they love God, but really they love money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think these words really stuck out to me reading mm. this this week. Is you know the Pharisees sneer, they ridicule, and God, this thing you say, you know, Jesus is like God looks at your heart. But then the next sentence: yeah. What is exalted among men, like in this world, yeah. those things is an abomination. Yeah in the sight of God. And I think it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, you know, I see that as worldly. I don't want to let too much of that in my life. I want to be cautious about letting that in my life. It's so easy. I mean, none of us would say that. And we we understand the principle of like, no, it's really dangerous. But do we but see But it's so it? easy to live with a bit of it in your life. Yeah. And this is like, oh no, it's like, it's not just, oh, that like that's dangerous, Richard. Yeah. You know, be cautious about how much of that is in your life. And no, God's like, Richard, that's an abomination to me. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I just, I want that out. Yeah. I want that, like, I want that purged mm. from my life, you know. Don't want anything to do with it. Mm. And then it's interesting because there's like a standoff yeah. between the Pharisees and Jesus. Jesus has done, which he he did He's done a few times, like when they question, you know, what's God said? And it's like, well, you know, you've heard it said this, but mm. I tell you if, you, if you look at someone and hate them, like mm-hmm. there's a problem in your heart, which is mm. really close to the problem of murder. And like God mm. actually sees that. And don't yeah. think just because you haven't actually knifed someone in the back that you're all cool with God. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Jesus, there's already been this standoff he, he, between like the law was supposed to lead you to an understanding mm-hmm. of God's understanding of ethics and heart and what matters and what's valuable. But you've sort of stopped at a point where the external stuff is what you've cared about. And so this standoff is playing out again. And, you know, 
I mean, the Pharisees weren't just lovers of money, but they mm. built entire structures of how to interpret the law mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. blessing and finances being put together in a way that's so close to that thing we were talking about, right. like with the American dream version of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of this standoff, then Luke gives us another of Jesus's uh, sort of small a snippet of his teaching that shows how Jesus is sort of a, that fulfillment of the law mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that takes the heart and then is able to like express yeah. it and land the plane on like, where are we supposed to get to in this? And, and rather mm -hmm. than it being like, well, the law said one thing, Jesus has come along, scrap the law and give us some other stuff. And the Pharisees are confused because they're like, oh, man, I thought we were supposed to listen to Moses. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things Luke's trying to make clear for us is that the law, it had the ingredients to like help you understand all of this stuff about God's mm -hmm. heart. But because of human brokenness, God's had to send his son to both reveal that heart in a person and be able to reconcile us to that heart. So it's a, like a twofold mission. And that Jesus is actually revealing like the heart that is contained yeah. within it, not undoing it and replacing yeah. it with something contrary to the law yeah. and that if you understood the law Jesus would come along and you'd be like you're God yeah. you would see, you would understand mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like, uh, which is really interesting because it's going to come out in the next parable which we will get to uh, really quick and all of this stuff is going to make reading the parable yeah. uh, easier parable, yes. let's um, see how much time Yeah, but it's um, we're going to see that play out where uh, you know, the the rich man is like, man, couldn't you just, couldn't you do something else to get the message across? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, the message has been given. The problem is not the messaging. Yeah. The problem is the heart that's listening yeah. to the message. Yeah. Well, and it seems like e even in this, in the this uh, verse, these eight, 16 and 17 here, this, um, where the kingdom now the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It seems like he's still getting at this look, the kingdom of God, and, and then he says, you know, none of the law is going to disappear. Mm -hmm. So the kingdom of God is still going to be characterized by the, the law is still going to be there, yeah, is still going to be in place. Um, and but you can't. But forcing it is the wrong heart attitude. Um, yeah. Like trying, thinking, um, and, and building all these rules, et cetera. Like it just can't, it's not, it, yeah. they can't force your way in. Yeah. Your heart has to be transformed to have those kingdom values. Yeah. Um, Which is yeah. why yeah. then he uses this example of divorce mm. and marrying. Mm. Because there were two big schools of rabbis. And one of them was like, you can divorce for unfaithfulness. I think that was, uh, I can't remember the name, Gamaliel's. And then Hitler, Hillel school. His was like, no, you can divorce if like she burns the dinner. You know, he had like this completely other set of ideas. Yeah. And then Jesus gives a succinct, clear statement mm. about not just like what divorce and marriage are, but what makes divorce wrong when mm. divorce is wrong and the only way you can understand what jesus is saying 
is is to re especially for these two schools of thought the people mm. you are out there the only way what jesus is saying is right is actually to peel back some of the outward facing layers of what those schools believe mm-hmm. and go back to like what's the actual like the heart like what's the metaphysics of marriage mm. like what what actually is it that's going on when someone makes a covenant before mm. god mm-hmm. um like what's how does reality change around this idea of marriage like a, a biblical godly marriage yeah. um and it, it's really interesting because this could be seen as jesus like slapping the pharisees in the face with you think wrongly about this this is the right way to think about it that's happening and but the only way to resolve like why are you doing that and what's going on hmm. is he's trying to reveal you've missed the heart yeah. The reason you're confused about this issue of divorce is because you've missed the heartbeat of it. Mm. And the heartbeat and the values that drive it. And the heartbeat is something to do with like the reality of what marriage is. And that reality is actually a reality that's created because you make a covenant with God, like a commitment before mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And, and your misunderstanding about the nature of a commitment to God is what's creating your confusion about divorce. And so it's like Jesus clears it up, but he clears it up in a way that is going to leave them with something to think about that actually is an invitation into transformation. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's like the way Luke pulls this in at this point is really interesting because it's it's an illustration of how Jesus and the law are interacting, but how that Jesus's interaction with the law is also interacting with the people mm. who think they understand the law that are right, right in front there. of the, the reader, you know. It's almost like in the previous parable, I mean, we were focusing on that word, like what does it mean to be shrewd? And the shrewdness was was used in a negative way there as an example of how not to be shrewd and if only they could be shrewd for th- for things in the eternal kingdom. And this, this part here... These teachings are an illustration of like the right heart attitude in a shrewdness in a positive way, a strategic way that that they should always be approaching their understanding of who God is and what the law is. And if only they could apply that mindset into into God and the law, then they will understand the um, Mm. the the the, um, this this part about what he's saying about adultery and marriage. And I think it's worth us talking a little bit about. Yeah. I know this is a long podcast today, but yeah. this is like, these are some big themes. Yeah. Uh, this is a good, like, yeah. pause and listen to over two days. <laughs> this one, I should put that in the notes. Warning. That's right. <laughs> yeah, big warning. But, like, this is, this is what Jesus said is, like, the reality of marriage. It, it's, it's a commitment that changes the nature of, like, who you're accessible to as a life partner and who you're committed to as a life partner before God, such that if you divorce your wife, like, and uh, and then you go marry someone else, you're actually committing adultery. Like, you're actually now entering into a relationship that is breaking the marriage covenant. Because the, the nature of reality when you got married, the nature of who you actually were, like what the possibilities of relationship were for you changed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
you know, if you divorce and then remarry, which is interesting because I think this is allowing room for separation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but not for remarriage. And so Jesus is just saying marriage changes you. Um, and and um, he who marries a woman who's already been divorced. So if I've, I'm single, I've never, I've never even dated anyone, right. but I go and marry someone, I'm actually now stepping onto an, a, another covenant. Yeah, and it's broken down, but it's still the yeah. reality of that woman, that, that widow, her reality of her possibilities for what God says is like healthy relationship of how he's designed humans and relationship and marriage to work means if I enter into that, I'm actually, I'm breaking the design. Yeah. And, and that it's, um, that also is committing adultery. So he's sort of calling out the nature of reality. Um, that this is, it's those realities of the heart of thing that matter, not just like, oh, well, you know, well, you got divorced, and the Pharisees said it was legal, so I guess it's okay to remarry. Right, they're but treating Jesus is like that. no. There's some reality at the heart of this that means you you got to like you got to understand the way that God's design is being broken here, and that there's ramifications for mm-hmm. that. And that, like using the word adultery, we tend to think of, especially as like it's the kind of breaking of things, which is like breaking a rule. It's going to bring shame on you, like moral censure, like it's immoral. Mm-hmm. But also, I think part of what Jesus is getting at is like it's going to come with trouble. Like most of the time God tells us about moral rules is not because God Mm. loves rules. It's because the rules point to God's design and God really wants the design to flourish because he designed it that way. And he gets upset when the rules get broken because he knows it's going to disrupt the goodness he's actually designed for. And so, Mm. yeah, it's... There's actually something really beautiful, but then really challenging in this view of reality. It's a non-disposable, taking commitments really seriously, understanding that some of what we commit to and covenant to, some of the ways we interact with God and with others have like lasting, immovable ramifications. It's a a view of reality here, which is really hardcore. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean maybe I uh that's really that's really helpful to see cuz I think he's he's trying to poke like you said that helps me see what he's trying to focus on what the very nature of marriage is supposed mm-hmm. to be what the nature of that covenant is and how it changes people. Um I can't also help but have uh, compassion and um uh empathy for their people out there that we know or sitting yep. out there that have had my I have friends siblings that have mm-hmm. gone through broken marriages um, and uh, yeah this is what so to important say to for them. us to, talk, to yeah. talk about right yeah I don't want to leave it just a th- yeah I'm really aware that sometimes this verse gets read as just the rule yeah and that the only interaction we should have with this verse is like, oh, Jesus gave us a rule. So if you got divorced, you can't get married again. Right. And if you do, it's going to be a matter for like church discipline. You know, you're because you're you're breaking one of Jesus's rules. Um, and and that that sort of that becomes the only nature of interaction yeah. mm-hmm. with this verse. Yeah. 
Jesus's point and the and the way that Luke is including this teaching at this point is not to give a comprehensive view of um, divorce, marriage, and adultery. Mm-hmm. And actually, Jesus says some other things in some other places that show there's more to this. Yes, this snippet from Jesus's teaching is being put here by Luke to show that Jesus has this ability to get to the heart of reality mm. in a way that is needed if we're actually going to launch from the law into the kingdom. Mm. And so like that's his point. Yeah. Um so so then it becomes about like okay so how how do we like maneuver around mm. cuz like mm. Jesus, we get a little bit extra in Matthew when Jesus talks about like, hey, this is a reason for divorce that's actually right. like a good reason for divorce. And these are bad reasons for yeah. divorce that you've made up, you know. Mm-hmm. So Jesus interacts with the reality of a breakdown of a marriage yeah. and like what are good reasons and, and bad reasons for that. Um, and, and actually, like we get some of the most profound teaching on this is like in Corinthians when Paul's talking about people who've got broken marriages where it's a believer and an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's like, well, you know what? That's like, you're close to someone. What if God wants to reach them? Yeah, yeah. But then maybe they don't want to be reached and you just, you need to step away from that relationship. Mm. So like this, there is clearly some space for separation mm-hmm. in like the biblical understanding of how to move yeah. through this being got this idea of reality of like hardcore commitment and that like, this is the gold standard of what the reality is as human beings in a broken world which don't reach that very often we also need like understanding of how to navigate yeah but what if i find myself coming to realize this is god's reality but i've already been like walking along my life making decisions without an understanding of that reality so i sort of enter the journey now already deficient yes now what do i do and that's where like time and time again like something you see god do is both enter into broken stories to try to reveal the truth which has the ability to point not just to the right path, but mm. to healing towards the right mm. path, to redemption. Like our God is a God who redeems. He doesn't cancel and then yeah. like, but he actually tries to transform and redeem. And it's part of God's power. Yeah. And that God has this amazing capacity for grace towards people who are broken. And that the brokenness doesn't stop him creating space them to take a step towards him and that as they take those steps towards him he will then have opportunities to show them "Eh, you thought this was real but actually this is real so we're gonna have to have a conversation about this you know it's just an interesting Mm. you know in discipleship like dealing with people sometimes the question of discernment i have is often has God shown these people that this is right and this is wrong mm. and they've got a hard heart or they're just slipping up or like what's, or is this something that God hasn't shown them yet? Mm-hmm. Mm. And if God hasn't shown them, the next question is, Jesus, is that the thing you want to show them now? Or am I thinking this is the thing to deal with because 
maybe our culture's made it a big issue for me. Yeah. Like, I want to be open to say, like, okay, God, what's the thing you want to deal with in discipling this mm. person next? And I think our culture leads us to have a huge amount of presumptions about what things should be up the priority list of being dealt mm. with. And so practically, you know, it, it's a sort of, if someone's in front of me saying, I want to get divorced, how am I going to interact with that? Yeah. Like, why it, if that person's like, I, I'm in a broken relationship, but I want to know what like God's gold standard is, I want that to affect me. Mm. Then I'm going to say, I don't think you should get divorced. Or I think you should separate, but you should honor the commitment that you've made. Mm -hmm. You know, what if someone comes to me and they're like, I got divorced and I've just read these verses for the first time. What does that mean for me? It means there's brokenness in your story. Let's figure out how Jesus wants to redeem mm. that, how he now wants to move you towards something. Because it could look like, like in Corinthians is a great example yeah. of like you separated for reasons that are sort of tragic and sad and broken and are going to leave you with the aftershocks of that brokenness. So you're going to need like extra care and extra healing. Mm. But maybe redemption's going to look like that you now go move on from a broken unchristian marriage to a Christian marriage. Yeah. So there's all this room for yeah. redemption in here. And I think just like allowing grace to saturate our interactions with real people, with real situations and not allowing grace to become the, the license for it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's trying to get those two joined up in a way mm, that mm. Uh, along with like Jesus's ability to stand for things, but also be gentle and kind. And, you know, the way we communicate There's yeah, there's a sensitivity required here. Uh, there is. And I love how like you've unpacked this in the context of, of a lot of different places in scripture, Richard. And just to the point of, you know, if you just read of Luke 16, 18, it begs a lot of questions. And so mm -hmm. to to really read it through the lens of who is God and what is his heart for his yeah. people, he came to redeem, not condemn, and and for those who are in him, right? And so so just again, like the point of reading scripture holistically rather than just pulling apart one verse or another um, is is part of the journey. And yeah. also mm. doing it in a community, in conversation yeah. around this table, like in this podcast, but also in community groups. Um, and, um, and, and look for God's heart in it. If yeah. we really know the Lord and mm. we know his heart mm. and the way he reveals it through scripture, we will, we will not um, take these verses as con condemnation. We will take them as actually a way of... Um, of him wanting us to flourish um, because of who he is and his love for his people um, and his grace. Yeah. 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 And sometimes it's hard. It's hard to know the answers and it takes a lot of prayer. Yeah. Cause I think like a hard, really hard case is the person who actually might come to you and say, I blew it. I knew about the commitment. I knew about the reality and I got divorced anyway. Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. And it's like, well, I think you need to talk to God and repent. Yeah. You need to ask for his forgiveness. And 
and start to talk to him about how your hardness of hearts affected your relationship mm. with him and you need to to seek God healing that. Mm. And what will that look like? Especially if you've like now started dating someone and you're like, I don't know whether I should be dating or getting re like what mm. how how do I heal my relationship with God and honor God? In and, and it's not just about honoring him, but by honoring him become the closest to his design that I can given my broken story. Is it going to look like I shouldn't be dating? I sh should be separated now. Mm. Or is it going to look like I think God actually wants to allow room to my redemptive journey will look like remarriage. Though those are, I just would be so cautious of ever giving the impression that there's really clear black and white rules about that stuff. Yeah. That I, just make it easy to give advice. Yeah. People yeah. advice about that. Sure. I, th I think that's, you know, the, like a, just a key takeaway is like, there isn't a, there's not a pad answer to that. Like no. there's such a delicacy and a nuance and, and a list, a prayerful, you know, listening and dependence on even to step in. If you're invited into that situation yeah. to, comment someone like god wants you to do that with gentleness yeah and kindness not mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. um and and god has a story for god's story for each of those um situations may mm -hmm. look different yeah. yeah and and this that principle affects so much of our life mm. like we could go back to the generosity yeah conversation we could look at faithfulness yeah. and integrity we could look at all sorts of things our discipleship to jesus should always be informed by his gold standard yeah which he communicates through jesus and is represented mm -hmm, by jesus mm -hmm. um, so it should always be informed by that but so often we find ourselves where we're like okay i've broken the gold standard so what's the healing version yeah. standard going to look like well, the healed version of it is going to look like the gold standard, but it's going to have some glued together cracks yeah. in it. And the question becomes like, where should the cracks be? Where should the glue be? Mm. You know, like how, uh, what does the root of getting as close yeah. as I can to being informed by his standard look yeah. like? Because I think for some people, it's really easy to feel stuck with a like, well, I can't do the gold standard. So I guess I've blown it. And then it, it can become a kind of, there's no possibility of redemption, uh, which leaves someone either grieving yeah. without relief or, well, I guess it just doesn't matter what I do next. Mm. I can't do the right thing, so I'll just pick the best of the wrong things. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll yeah. just try to fix it myself. And it's like, no, there's a, there's a way to like allow the mold of God's design to mm -hmm. continue to shape you, even though it might be like that bit of the mold, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get into and yeah. that bit of my story, I don't know if it's ever going to stop sticking out of the mold. Mm -hmm. But I want the mold to inform my discipleship as I mm. like continue to be shaped closer yeah. to it. Because the reality is we've got to make our peace with that. Mm -hmm. Not in a cheap grace way. Not in a, well, it doesn't matter what I do then. But we'll drive ourselves nuts if we don't realize that our perfection takes Jesus' return. Mm -hmm. We are never going to fully occupy the mold of God's design until Jesus returns. Mm -hmm. So we're in that inaugurated space mm -hmm. of like we're informed by it, we're shaped by it, we pursue it. And yet we're constantly going to self-assess ourselves and our journey as like, but I'm not it. Yeah. 
and having to so we're constantly asking the question not just what's god's ideal here but how can i navigate towards it not just how can i be it because that i think is that sort of idealistic thinking sometimes that can lead to us to try radical things and it's like the seed that blooms up really quickly and, and then dies, doesn't have it's roots. gone. Yeah. Uh, and this idea of like God mm. taking us on this journey is sometimes so much more complicated. So there's yeah, some really interesting realities in this conversation, which is not really anything to do with the point of the text yeah. today, <laughs> well, but, but really important to talk about because yeah, this yeah. issue often gets dealt with in a not very good way, well, I mean, just in a discipleship way. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just think it d- this conversation does dovetail into this next parable because it's when you realize, like, to use your words, Richard, when you realize you're not it, you're not, you know, perfect, you're mm-hmm. you're sinful, you've made mistakes, um, you have a choice. You have a choice to turn to mm-hmm. Jesus, rely on him, or to turn inward and turn to your own devices, your own self, your own pride. Um, and this next parable is a story between what happens in each case. Yeah. Between the rich man and Lazarus. And so, the danger of and the realizing choice. you've got a choice too late and not yeah. exercising it. The consequences of yes. it yeah. in a stark yeah. way that that goes with this. Yeah. So I, d- I, think, I don't think we're as off track as you think no, as you're I, yeah you're right you're right yeah so do we have yeah let's time? shall we get let's have a let's have a quick look at this mm-hmm. okay okay take, um, if take you're a deep if you're still with us listening in one go oh, like that this yes. is epic all three of you thank you i i <laughs> do think i do think at least <laughs> when i listen to podcasts i'm listening to them snippets actually. yeah yeah so, true yeah it's fine it's just a lot to listen to this week it is so this this story we've got another rich man which is interesting connection to the last part. yeah and he's dressed in purple, which is like the most expensive fabric. So mm-hmm. he's, and being dressed in it is like there are people who who are rich, and don't flaunt it. Yeah, no, he's kind of flaunting it. So he's yeah he's rich. He's letting it show, fine linen, undergarments, and he feasts every day. And uh, there's a poor man named Lazarus who sits at his his gate. And gate here is not. Don't imagine like a white picket fence gate. The Greek word for gate here is like the word that's used of like the um, like resplendent arch on the way yeah. to a city or a palace or a temple. So it's it's a picture of like a mansion. There's mm. opulence, there's luxury, there's wealth, there's plenty. And then you've got this poor man, Lazarus, and he's covered with sores. He's hungry. He's kind of a, a beggar. He's... he's it's almost like rather than his choice to be there, he's been left there by others because when dogs come and lick mm, his sores, mm. he can't get away. So it's like he's he's kind of passive. Yeah. Like his his agency, his choice is just like he doesn't have a choice. But he 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 would he's hungry, would love to get like a scrap, like yeah. to be able to go through the garbage of the rich man. Yeah. And there's these wild dogs. So and well, and he's covered in sores. So he's not just hungry and maybe can't leper, move around. Perhaps. Well, not a leper because oh, then okay. he would have been outside the city. Oh, gotcha. But some sort of like disease yeah, where he's okay. got sores. So suffering in a horrible way, and the wild dogs are coming and licking the sores, which mm. makes him also because the wild dogs would be an unclean animal. Yeah. So being licked by the dog. This isn't like, don't imagine a puppy licking your face. Yeah. Like, oh, that's nice. The dogs are taking no. care of him. Like, no, this is a picture of like 
and he's unclean because the unclean animals mm-hmm. won't leave him alone and he can't get away from it. Hmm. He has like no way of escape other than if someone does something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, so the, the, there's the scene set and then the rich man dies. Both of them die. They, yeah, and then the die. poor man dies. Mm-hmm. Right. So both die and we jump to like, okay, so what's how do things play out after mm-hmm. this situation mm-hmm. and these choices or not choices? And they're indifferent. They're not in the same place. No, like different starting points. Yes, mm-hmm. different and then different ending points. Yeah. 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 So so then we have the poor man, Lazarus. He's and this is like a Jesus is utilizing imagery and pictures of the way Jews in the intertestamental period, the second mm-hmm. temple period talked about and thought about the mechanics of the afterlife. Right. So this is not Jesus teaching on the afterlife. Right. This That's is good. Jesus leveraging common ideas in Jewish thought. And actually there's some hints of him um, showing an understanding of the way Greeks thought mm-hmm. in the imagery he uses mm-hmm. here as well. Okay. So it's this picture then of being carried by angels up to basically be next to Abraham. Okay. Um, Abraham's bosom. So this will like... A lot of this imagery comes from like Maccabees and Second Esdras yeah. and some of like the intertestamental literature that shaped the worldview of the Jews, and that's that's a. I but guess he's a key not thing here. trying to paint. This isn't Jesus, Jesus is isn't saying this is the afterlife. What happens after you die? Yeah. Yes, he's just Jesus using. is saying. Okay, gotcha. Here's, here's I want to paint a picture for you, so I'm going to use the picture of that you already the, know. The, you that already you're already know. Already thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, like our way of doing this would be like, hey, you remember in like Lord of the Rings? Yeah. <laughs> when this happened, because uh, I'm trying mm-hmm. to use, I'm trying to leverage gotcha. a, a story, mm-hmm. you know, to make yeah. a point. I'm not telling you Lord of the Rings is real. Sorry, yeah, guys, yeah. if you're listening. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Like, it's not actually real. Yeah. yeah. So that's what's going yeah, that's on. That's good. But the complication is that some of the Jewish ideas, their picture, their Lord of the Rings about after death, yeah. is informed not just by actually some Greek thought, some Roman thought, intertestamental thought, and the Old Testament. Mm, mm. And so there are elements of this that as if these are questions we get into, uh, you know, we're not going to today. But if you were to get into, you would see elements of actually the biblical teaching of what happens after you die represented here, but it's not a faithful representation because that's not what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to leverage their, their picture of things. So... That's like a disclaimer on this story that we have to make because sometimes right. we think, oh, every, every picture is the real picture. Literal, right. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, he, so the poor man is by Abraham's side. So that's a picture of like with the patriarch, uh, mm-hmm. with belonging, with the fulfillment of the, prom- the Abrahamic promise, with, in a place of blessing, in a place of care, in a place of like closeness to God. The rich man is in Hades in torment. So Hades is just like the Jewish idea for like where you go after you die, okay. like mm-hmm. the grave, Sheol, mm-hmm. you know, in the right. like Old Testament. Um, and so not in comfort, not close to Abraham, not close to the fulfillment, not close to blessing. So, so it's a contrast of these two people having completely different experiences, completely different mm. possibilities, which mirrors the beginning of the parable. She's flipped. Yeah, but yeah, now it's like yeah. the reverse way around. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and and it's then we get the interactions. 
So then this is the sort of interesting bit that Lazarus uh, is there and the, the rich man um, looks up, sees Abraham, sees Lazarus. So recognizes Lazarus. It's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're the guy that was by my gate every day. Yeah. And I did nothing about you. Yeah. So knew him. It, this isn't like, oh, I, I, I never knew you were in need. Otherwise, I would have helped. This is like, no, I saw you in need every day yeah. and yeah, chose yeah. to feast more. Yeah. So pretty damning that the fact that he even recognizes Lazarus. But then he calls out Abraham for mercy, like send Lazarus. And, and what he asks for, it parallels the sort of Lazarus being like, if I could just have a crumb yeah. of your leftovers, a bit of your garbage. Yeah. So not like send him to like, you know, give me a hot tub and, you know, a cool beer, but just to dip his yeah, yeah, yeah. the end of his finger in some water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting because throughout the Old Testament, the idea of thirst is often connected to the idea of desiring God's presence. Mm. And the idea of, um, like, uh, not having that and the idea of, like a fire uh, and judgment and stuff is being isolated from God's presence. So there's a, a an actual visceral picture of flames and water and people in places, but the Jewish reader would have understood that all of these things had like a symbolic theological connotation, mm. which is why Jesus is able to leverage their idea, their picture, but still get some theology across to yeah, them because okay. of what these things mean. So, so he wants a little bit, like, just send Lazarus. And it's really interesting. The person who can help is Lazarus. The person who could have helped before was the rich man. Yeah. So it's, it is complete role reversal in every possible way. Except his attitude. His this attitude, rich yeah. rich man's yeah. attitude is still, yeah. he's kind of, you know, he's the guy who should serve me. It is. It, it <laughs> is possible. He's look, like, yeah, because, like, Lazarus... He's it, barking I, orders. I don't know. Is it is it like Lazarus is in a position to, uh -huh. or is it like oh, there's a kind of lowly person. Send them. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we don't it, know. Uh, yeah. It's it's hard. He does say like, "Have mercy on me." So yeah. it's like a begging. Yeah. And I so I, I do think there's something in his attitude. We're supposed to see him begging like Lazarus had to beg. Okay. So I think there, there's a bit of that going on there as well. But there could be a bit of the entitlement still in him yeah, as well that's so a, yeah we see a bit of both yeah. and actually that could be true to his experience that in this like mental emotional spiritual anguish um the there is a realization like i'm not blessed and i'm in need of mercy mm. but it's in tension with still pride and entitlement mm -hmm. with you know yeah. And that he's kind of stuck in this state, which is part of what the anguish is. So that's yeah, sort of interesting that both are there. Um, yeah. But, but Abraham basically says no. Yeah. But the no is an interesting one. He still says child. So, yeah. like, you're a Jew, which is really interesting because I think Jesus is painting a picture here that he's had to have some conversations of, like, just because you're a biological descendant of Abraham, just because you're Jewish, yeah. doesn't mean you're going to automatically be like in the right place okay. in the kingdom. So calling him child is like, a, I think, a, maybe a little nod mm, to that. Okay. 
So remember, in your lifetime, you received your good things. Lazarus, in like manner, his bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. Um, so it's like, hey, remember, this reality here is a, a reflection and consequence of the reality of your life before you mm, died. Mm. And so he's he, the ingredients are there to understand why you're in anguish and why uh, why in a sense that's like just mm -hmm. like this reflects your choices um and i can't do anything about it there's a chasm between us like these realities of being blessed or not being included yeah. or excluded having access to god's presence or not has now been fixed yeah it's too late now. yeah uh, and so the possibility of change here is not there. And so there's something like really tragic, but a sort of just fulfillment of the reality of this guy's, you know, choices. And it just, it makes me think back to bits of Luke. I mean, in this chapter, like, did you use your wealth so that when it fails, someone would receive you, welcome you mm. into eternal blessings? No. Because <coughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the the words echo, you know, if you had used your wealth differently, Lazarus would be welcoming you to Abraham's side right now. Mm. Or like uh, earlier on, you know, when Jesus talks about reaping what you sow, yeah, 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 or about with the measure you measure it out, it will be measured, measured to you. To you. Um, <coughs> and this guy measured out with a way that. There was no room, no value for Lazarus. And he's now experiencing the sort of reflection of his choice about how to view himself, God, and others. And so it's a yeah, really sort of tragic picture. Um, you, you know, I also, you know, as you say, hey, this makes you think of the, these other things that Jesus talked about in, in before you. I mean, I can't help but also think of you know, <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit. Bless, yeah. You know, like, you know, this is what blessedness looks yep. like Yeah. in in here. And, I mean, I, uh, maybe, maybe we're going to get to this, but um, the, the other thing that just stands out in, in this, I mean, quite frankly, is, right, isn't this, like, I've heard, this is the only parable where we've got someone's name in yes. it. And it's really significant because the one named is, is the, the nobody. Yeah, yeah, is the nobody. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we see, I don't know, God's, in, you know, we see the importance of <coughs> names and meanings of, of names. I'm like, hold on a second. And what's of God has, some, and we know Lazarus. Mm -hmm. We have no idea who this, you know, this other guy is. And what's that eternal reward? You know, and of course, this is a parable, so it's just, you know, Jesus created this way. But he, I think he's saying something there, too. Yeah, I think about so. About that. I'm like losing my voice, <laughs> get coughing here. Okay, yeah. we'll get you some water. I'm, I'm here. not getting overly emotional. I'm just losing my voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, no, I think you're right. I, I don't think it's just to make the parable work. You have to be able to name Lazarus to know who you're referring to. Yeah, but you don't I, have to. I yeah, think yeah. the the rich man thank you is anonymous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or, but I, but I think there's something also in here and like, but like actually his whole identity in this, even what you taught, even the first parable and how are you using your, um, your wealth, et cetera. Yeah. It's like, look, that ended up being, um, like, that's what you're no, that, that's all you got. And it, it didn't your reality. Last. It became your reality. It, yeah. And it didn't last. Yeah. And now you have no name. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like in terms of that principle of like scheme, but in a godly way. Yeah. The rich man becomes an example of someone who schemed in entirely the wrong ways yeah. and that this is what that led to. Yeah. There was no reward, no right. welcome, no blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then the at the end we get the thing that sort of unpacks that thing we were talking about, about how Jesus fulfills the law. And mm -hmm. if you understand the law, you would already understand Jesus. And if you, if you don't get the law, then you're not going to get Jesus. Like just mm. helping these Jews understand because then the rich man says, Oh, you know, like I've got five brothers, like send someone back to them or even send Lazarus back mm -hmm. in like a dream or a vision or something, you know, send him to go warn them. And, he's and, like, and, and there's and he's like no, that's not like, going to no, work. They've, they've got Moses and the prophets. Yeah, and that idea that they're given, they're already been given <laughs> everything they need, and also on their part, it's their own responsibility to work out their faith. Yeah, and how convicting for us as well. Like yeah. we are given what mm -hmm. we need, and it is our responsibility. We can't borrow somebody else's religion, um, and um, and I just I, I to me, what struck me in this parable was just the idea that. Um, this rich man was just ordering Abraham around, like, do all of these things. Um, and he missed the point that it's already been done for him. Yeah. He just missed it. Um, there's a part of him that's just blind to it, um, but it's because of his pride. He, he, he's, he's saying, basically, what I saw is, it just, I haven't you haven't given me the stuff, so I can't, I can't believe. I, I, yeah. can't, I can't get out of here. Um, and um, and so bring it, you know, and 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 he's missed that it's already been given. Yeah, and I think that I, that picture of being blind to is sort mm -hmm. of telling, like that, mm -hmm. and that's the problem. If you're if you've got the law of Moses, which these people as Jews, they've they they've it. been preached to, they've lived, they've inhabited a journey which was supposed to be shaped by God's revelation, mm -hmm. and if you've been blind to it, mm -hmm. then. And at the end here, we have a nod forward to the resurrection. Right. Even if someone rises from the yeah. dead, you'll be blind to that too. Yeah. yeah. Like, because the problem is not, like I think I said before, it's not the messaging. Yeah. The problem is not just like, oh man, God, you just need a better copywriter or yeah. like, you know, your signage is not good enough. It, like the problem is not the science and it's not the message. The, the, the problem is there's something within and some choices about what to value that then create a blindness where you just mm, think mm. you can't interact and you can't understand. And that's, I mean, there's a whole thing then about mm. how the rest of the New Testament talks about Jesus as, as God's reality to come and actually rescue blind people, mm -hmm. like the scales fall from eyes, right. that God uses his power to interrupt this process. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, what people need is not more science. Uh, so I guess it would be like, oh man, if only there was like another Bible that said some more, then maybe I'd give my yeah. life to God. 
It reminds it's like, me. No, of... you don't need more Bible. Yeah. What you actually need is you need the light to turn on with the things you've already got. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've already got enough, but they're just right, not that, that question comes across today. It, it seems to me, it sounds like, well, if God would do this for me, then. You it's know, a this doubting Thomas moment, moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's like, if only I could see the holes in your hands, then I would believe. Yeah. And But then in the end, I love that passage because he doesn't actually need to see it. <laughs> no. You know, yeah. he thinks he needs it, but yeah. he doesn't. When yeah. when he understands mm-hmm. how much God understands him, <laughs> yes. he doesn't yeah. need the he proof He actually anymore. does yeah. it, yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The other thing with this guy is I can't help but read this and think of like uh, like a, a kid where it's like you are in consequence avoidance mode. Mm-hmm. This is all about trying to avoid the harm and not about embracing the good thing, yeah. which actually would mean you walked in a way that you didn't get those consequences. Yeah. And... Well, I think that's part of the blindness of this guy. Isn't that yeah. also, I think, of what we were talking about earlier in these guardrails that he was setting up, that Jesus was setting up in the first parable, this notion of there's something about trustworthiness mm-hmm. for others first. And I guess the way I draw that connection is that, like, you, um, it's if it's all about sort of consequence avoidance, you're still, you're serving yourself here. Mm-hmm. To mm. begin with. And that's with. it, yes. Mm-hmm. You're Definitely. still a self-serving. And if you're using your shrewdness to gain your own security, to do your own, uh, to improve your situation, to profit differently, you've just, your heart attitude's wrong. There's something about yeah. your heart that has to be transformed. Really, this, it seems like, because God's clearly saying throughout, like, well, in the in the in this first parable, it seems like like there are resources that are in abundance that you've been given. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what you're going to be doing with those resources, and it seems like he's saying, "Hey, those resources should be used to grow something, you know." To and and that could be growing others, yeah, you know, closer yeah. to me, closer to God, yeah, not, not me. And, and I think, by, but, and oh, by no. the way, if you do, you will flourish and it go will yeah. go well. And if you yep. don't, and if you do the thing that's gonna you feel like is so self serving, you're gonna end up in in hell yeah. eternally. And I'm just gonna give you over to that. Yeah. And I think God interacts with us around the more shallow things of consequence avoidance. I want some good. I want to avoid bad. Yeah, yeah. I want to be happy. But God, he doesn't stop there. He also tries to show us how there's like, there's a deeper, purer reality. And that's why I love like in the middle of this chapter with those guardrails is like, what you need is to love God. Yeah. Like that's, that's good. That's That's the pure thing. Like ultimate freedom to pursue the good for the good sake Mm -hmm. is motivated by an encounter with God that leads us to love God. Yeah. And that's the that's like the battery pack out yeah. of which can flow like something that can actually transform us to then do the good from yeah. pure motives. Um, but but I and that is something I love about God and about Scripture. He's not as idealistic to be like, hey, that really hard ideal thing is the only way I'm going to interact with you. It's like the steps. Yeah, where it's like, oh, you're in this place right now where you you're in conflict avoidance mode, or 
He's so patient. Yeah, yeah. And and just like, I'm going to interact with you. I'm going to show you a bit yeah. about what goodness is and how I can help you and how you need me for goodness. Mm. And like constantly like using, mobilizing all of our dysfunctional ways of trying to seek good to draw us a little bit closer to a pure interaction yeah. with the good. And by the way, when you make, when you mess up, because you're going to, you, you turn to me, I'll make you better. Yeah. Because yeah. of it, in yeah. it, because of me. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, I think we should stop because this is by far and away the longest Ooh, the podcast longest in the world yes. ever. If you've managed to listen to all of this this week, well done. Like, come find me on Sunday. Uh, I'll yes. give you a smiley face sticker. Something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, it, it a cut, there's it, a lot. These two parables are ones that have a lot of head scratching. Yeah. And then we, you've got the divorce bit in the middle, yeah, yeah. which, yeah, like, well, how do we deal with that? That's a massive conversation. So yeah. some really big conversations this week. Well, it really helped me just connect this through the, through the whole chapter, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. to dive yeah. in like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, cool. Thank you. So enjoy reading. And then next week. I'd say I promise. I, th I think chapter seventeen is a little more simple, yeah, so I think I can I can promise in good confidence that the podcast will not be nearly two hours long. And if mm. it can be a faster <laughs> podcast, um, by the way, if you play us in double time, we'll there you talk go. really double fast. Double speed us. <laughs> we'll sound like trick. chipmunks. It'll be fine. <laughs> All right, have a great week. Mm -hmm.